Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I am really looking forward to jumping into God's Word together. So whether you're here with me in the room or you're with me online, I'm just glad you're with me. Are you with me? Yes, and we're ready to just be edified and fed by the holy, ancient Word of God. Amen? We have been wrapping, we are wrapping up, as you heard Zach say in the video, our series, Back to basics. And I just want to take a second to, to consider all that we've covered so far in this series and why it's important. We started by talking about rediscovering the gift of salvation, of being born again, and the wonder that surrounds that. We've talked about embracing our relationship with God through prayer, of enjoying His presence all day, every day. We've talked about getting into the Holy Scriptures and getting them into us and what it means to learn God's Word. We've talked about finding our family and loving them. That's the church. We've talked about owning our story, our testimony, our, our Jesus story in our lives so we can tell others about Him in a way that's not creepy, right? Always a good thing. Always a good thing to do that in a way that's not creepy. To steward our treasure, whatever it is that God has given us in terms of our finances, to invest them and to be generous people. We've talked about the fact that every one of us is spiritually gifted in ministry and that we can tap into those powers and use them to do good in the church and in the world. So I'm guessing that most of us probably would agree that these are great basics of our faith and our living out of our faith. But today as we wrap up, I want to talk about how we follow through on this. How we follow through on this. And this is a great illustration, at least for me. I want to tell you about a Canadian photographer. His name's Todd McClellan. And he likes to deconstruct things. More than that, he likes to photograph all their myriad components from the tiniest screws or bundles of wires and all the plastic parts that might make them work. And he does this by neatly uh, uh, laying out each item or sometimes capturing them as they tumble through the air so that the original device, whether it be a 1970s toaster, uh, a smartwatch, a couple of different types of cameras, or an old Macintosh computer, whatever the object is, you see every single component part. Now the resulting pictures are visually compelling studies of the inner workings of everyday objects. And he's published all of these in his book, Things Come Apart. Is that true? Do things sometimes come apart? Absolutely. In an interview, he said that it's an ongoing project. In fact, this is the second book in the series. He said, there's something about ripping things apart to see what makes them function that I find endlessly fascinating, he said. And I have to admit, I kind of relate to him on that front. I'm not, I'm not into taking apart toasters and photographing them, but the inner workings of something. Now that is interesting. And when it comes to the inner workings of something as precious as the human soul, mine and yours, I think that's something worth some really close examination. Now, this makes me think of the fact that in the last year or two, there's been a really popular concept going around, deconstruction. Maybe you've heard people talk about this, the idea of deconstructing one's faith. 
And you may have mixed feelings about this idea, but let me tell you, I don't think it's such a bad idea, at least not in theory. Let me explain what I mean. Lots of religious and cultural baggage can get attached to our simple, beautiful faith in Jesus. And I've sat across from countless people over the years who've been hurt or weighed down or disillusioned by false ideas that get attached to our faith, ideas that oppress others or count them out, ideas that equate our faith with things like a particular nation or political party, teaching that uses shame and blame or describes following Jesus as just following a set of rules, most of which Jesus had nothing to do with. So taking apart our faith and looking at each belief, each tenet, each component part so that it can be then reconstructed and built in our lives, keeping all the good and true and beautiful materials, so to speak. Now that sounds like a pretty great and necessary thing. Sounds a lot like what Jesus says in Matthew 6 when he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Plenty of good things are added to or come into focus in our lives as we keep our eye on the kingdom of God, on God's activity in our lives, on the reality of God. And then there are a lot of other things that might try to get added and they won't stick because we're keeping our eye on who Jesus is. Is. We're finding, and this is what I hope we'll spend a little time thinking about today, we're finding the mainspring. Man, you take all these things apart and you begin to find the thing that makes everything else work, the mainspring of our lives in Jesus. Because if we can find that today and tomorrow and the next day, it will be because it's the, going to be the only thing that matters on our final day. So let's keep that in mind, what we're talking about here is distinguishing the vital few from the trivial many, from finding ourselves majoring in minors, which is what we don't want to do, and finding ourselves getting good at what's ultimately insignificant and neglecting what actually makes life rich. I would sum it up like this. Let's not consider optional what Jesus calls essential. Let's not consider optional what Jesus calls essential. We've been saying throughout this series that we're going to put first things first. We're going to remember what matters most. And here, one last time, as we wrap up, we're going to ask ourselves whether or not our lives are living up to our values and look for ways to put into practice the precious truths we believe. And we're going to let the Apostle Peter do this for us as we focus on a powerful passage of Scripture in 2 Peter Chapter 1. Peter was a disciple of Jesus who, who followed him the rest of his life after meeting Jesus and in fact gave his life for his faith. And he writes this letter to some of the first Christians. So this is a letter, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3 and check out what Peter says. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. Someone say everything we need for living a godly life life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory 
and excellence. A couple of points here right off the bat. Let's just see that we have in Christ everything we need to live this life. What does that mean? That means when each of us says yes to Jesus, and if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, or man, maybe that was just a long time ago, and you're not really sure where you are with him right now, we feel you. That's okay, and you're in a great place to explore what that can mean for you. But I'm here to testify, and I know many of you are too, that when each of us says yes to Jesus, we have stepped now into a life in which we are fully equipped and empowered to live it. We have everything we need. I didn't start out with more than anyone else, and you didn't either. We all started out with all the equipment necessary to live this life. Now, there's lots to learn and discover, and we can spend our whole lives, and in fact, we should, doing exactly that. It's quite an adventure. It's a lot of fun. But it's all right there for us to learn and discover and enjoy. We have everything we need if we'll take the, t- the time, pardon me, <clears throat> the time and the attention to access it. Everything we need is readily available. Embracing prayer, feeding on scripture, finding our family in our church, enjoying ministry, generosity, stewardship, sharing our story. These basics are all sitting there ready for us to begin enjoying, unpacking, exploring, living out for the rest of our lives. It's all right there. And we've come to know all this, it says, because we've come to know him. We've received all these things thanks to him. Friends, if we were to boil all these basics down to one thing, it would be the exceeding privilege and joy and blessing of knowing Christ Jesus. He already knows you. He knows all about you. And he loves you in ways and at depths that you can barely comprehend. He already knows you. To get to know him is the great joy of life. All of these basics come down to that, knowing Jesus. Friend, there is nothing else. There is nothing else at all. Now, this takes us to the formula that we've been kind of coming back to throughout, off and on throughout our series, and we're going to end with it, too, because we're going to find this formula right here in this passage in 2 Peter. The formula for how life seems to work goes like this. Our doing flows from our being based on our knowing. So if we're going to talk about following through on following Jesus, it means that we are always going to be in a posture of learning, That never stops. Disciple means student. And so you never outgrow. You've never been a Christian long enough that these things no longer matter to you. These basics that we're talking about, they are the proteins. They are the the DNA of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So we're always in a posture of learning so that we can develop a pattern of growing and a practice of obeying. So let's find this formula right here in this passage. It's far from the only place in scriptures that you'll see it, but let's pick up where Peter has left off here. Now we're in verse four. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. What do we see here? First, we see that our doing is based on our being, flows from our being based on our knowing. So what do we know? We know that God has given us great and precious promises. And the place to start 
is by getting to know those promises. What are some of them? Promises of everlasting love. Promises of undying presence. Promises of world-changing purpose, of a grace and a forgiveness that brings joy and hope to our lives. The promises go on and on, and they're all so good, and they're all so precious. And they all come from a God who can be relied upon, who's there for us. And so getting to know those promises is where things, good, good things begin. Often we're taught the wrong thing. We have a few wrong ideas bumping around in our heads. Is that only me or maybe might, that might be some of us here, right? Not everything we know is actually accurate. And so it's great to take an inventory of the things we're believing and set them next to these great and precious promises. And what lines up with God's word, what lines up with who God says he is and who he says we are. Now that's worth keeping, right? That's a component part. I'm going to keep that. Other things, whoa, that doesn't fit. Here's a few, here are just two or three examples. There are some of us right here who are probably somewhere in our mind thinking that God is just waiting on you to measure up. Maybe that's your perception of God standing, arms folded, maybe he's tapping his toe a little bit, and he's getting maybe a little impatient, and he's just waiting for you to finally measure up. And of course, the impression that you have is that you're not. Maybe that you can't, or never will. That that's who you think God is. I'm asking you to toss that idea out the window today. Maybe you were walking around with the idea that everyone but you has their stuff together. Anyone ever felt like that? Right. The Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual enemy. If his mouth's moving, he's lying. And he's talking to, and he whispers to you and to me. And that's just the kind of thing he would say. Everyone but you has got their stuff together. God is waiting for you to measure up. Forget that. Here's a third one that just I, I, I thought about, and, and this might be particularly relevant to you. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here right now, but just hear this. Faith and spirituality are an optional extra that some people choose. That we can, we can perhaps adopt this false idea that faith and spirituality are something, yeah, it's, it might be great for some people, but not, not everyone needs it. And listen, I'm telling you, if you take apart the human soul, like someone did that, that guy did that toaster, you're going to find that there is a mainspring in every human soul that is hungry and thirsty for God, that needs a relationship with the one who designed and made it, and that that is true for every human being. Whether that human being realizes it yet or not, it is true. Faith and spirituality, and in our case specifically, faith in Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. The one way to experience uh, life with God, the God who made us, knows us, and loves us. That faith is not an optional extra. It is something we all need. It's something we all need. So those are just some things to know, great and precious promises. But then Peter takes us to then, because of those, we talk then about being, our that we get to share in the divine nature of God. Listen, God made you to be like Christ. I don't mean God made Christians to be like Christ. God made every human being to have the potential to be more and more like Jesus. Now, we don't reach that potential, even come close, until we say yes to Jesus. But that is exactly who he wants us to be more and more like. Whole and healthy, full and rich, 
just like the Son of God was as he walked this earth. God made you to be like Christ, and me too. As incredible as that sounds, it's true. We get to, as one translation puts it, participate in the divine nature of God. See, we were all made, all of us, in the image of God, but now we get to live in the nature of God thanks to His Holy Spirit in us. As we say yes to Jesus, we are now going to be changed and transformed day after day, and we become more and more like Him as we mature and grow in our faith. This is our being. We get to be more like Him. And then it says, in view of all this, Make every effort. And here we reach, do. It's so important that do is put in its proper context. We know promises. We get to be more like Jesus. And from that, from that, we make every effort. We do. This truth and this identity start an engine in our souls, sets us on a course of, that's worthy of all our best energies. We found what's essential. We won't fall for calling it optional, and we devote ourselves to it. So again, the formula is right there, and it is just simply the way life works. It's like the physics of faith. Truth lays a foundation, and truth comes from God. I don't get to pick that, neither do you, right? We learn truth from Him. We don't get to make it up. We don't get to choose it. We learn it. Truth lays that foundation. On that foundation, based on that truth, we become we build an identity on what God says about us. God help me if I begin to build an identity on how I think and feel about myself, right? Anyone feel, feel the same? I need to build my identity on what my Creator says about me. Because if I begin to build that on how I feel from day to day about me, that's a mess waiting to happen, right? But based on that truth, we become. And then from that identity, grounded in that truth, we begin to act. We exert our will in the world. We follow Jesus. We do good. And that's the way human life is meant to flourish. You take all the parts apart and put them back together. That's the way they fit. And friend, you can go back to this again and again and again. If you're in a moment in your life in which you feel confused, you're conflicted, you're not sure where to go or, or who you are or what's true, go back to this and remind yourself of what's true. And because that's true, this is who I am. And because this is who I am, this is what I'll do. And you begin to go back to that again and again, and you will find that it will ground you back to where you need to be. You can follow through on following Jesus. Peter goes on, talking about making every effort, right? And then he begins to describe what that can look like. Supplement your faith, he says, with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now, as we read that, we can ask ourselves, is there really anything revolutionary on that list? Isn't exactly what you would expect God to say in his word as he describes a flourishing human being. Right, it's not, really, it's not really the point that there would be anything revolutionary. These are basics. Not because they're generic or bland, but because they're foundational. Because they're essential. So when we say we need to get back to basics, 
we're recognizing that we can try and even succeed at any number of things. But if we're missing these things, we're missing everything. They're the basics. They're the non-negotiables. They're the essentials. Using Google Trends, someone uh, determined each state of our country uh, the most popular New Year's resolutions over the last couple of years. Now, I know it's only September. We're a little far from New Year's Day, but we're all making resolutions all the time, whether we call them that or not, right? We all have goals, aspirations, needs, things we're Googling because we want to find uh, out more about them. And so some of those lead goals were broken down into these basic categories. Read more, lose weight, get a date, get a job, get a good night's sleep, save money, find a good therapist. If you wrap it all up, those were the nation's goals. And these are great and understandable, frankly. I mean, there's really, they all make a lot of a lot of sense, but we can't forget to search and seek what's first. So let's forget New Year's resolutions for a minute and think new life resolutions provided by Scripture, empowered by the Spirit, and chosen and accepted by each of us. We can pray more, lose the weight of sin and regret, become a person ready for a relationship. No matter how many dates we go on, who am I? Discover our calling and our ministry. Be generous with our money. Find a good church. Like I said, none of the things on that map were bad. In fact, they were quite good and healthy. Most of them, I would say, that's the case. But if these basics that we're talking about today, if they aren't in place in our lives, then what are we doing? Lose all the weight you want, right? Read all the books you can. But if these foundational basics aren't in place, then what are we doing? So we can't chase what the world chases at the expense of what God provides. We have to pursue what matters and remove what's in the way. I want to say that last sentence one more time because it's up to us to pursue what matters and remove what's in the way. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, wise Christians get rid of whatever is interfering with who we want to be before God and with each other. Wise Christians go back to the basics. Simple, but not easy. Basic, but not elementary. It takes determined attention to be simple. It takes all the help we can get to be basic. See, this kind of basic, once again, it isn't boring or unoriginal. It's elemental. It's indispensable. So let's not consider optional what Jesus calls essential. I like the way Peterson put it. He says it takes determined attention to be simple. To you and I return again and again to first things, to foundational principles, to vital practices. We need to help each other in this, and it does take a determined choice to draw our attention back again to what do I know? So this is who I am, and then this is what I'll do. What is the truth of God? What is the life of God in me? And what is the call of God on me? Peter goes on to wrap this up. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the, 
the full expectation of the Scriptures is that you and I will be productive and useful in our knowledge of Jesus. This is not just a ticket punch to get to heaven. This is a life that now we get to live day in and day out. He says, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. Failing to develop in this way, we need to recognize that this is an option, that this could happen. And friend, let me tell you, I do not want it to happen to any of us. This This is exactly what I'm up here each Sunday, right? And praying hard for all of us that this is not what happens for us, that we do not fail to develop, but instead we find ourselves fruitful and useful and productive in our faith. But when we get this backwards, which we're often taught to do, sometimes even in church, then failure to develop is exactly what we may find ourselves experiencing. Let me explain it like this. Like If you go back to that formula for, for just a moment, when we focus on any one of those things at the expense of the others, or we start from the wrong spot, we will find ourselves kind of derailing this process. If we focus on doing first, right, which is we, we Christians are, are notoriously known for getting really religious and following all the rules, right? If doing is the main thing that, that we're all about, then we will find ourselves performing in order to meet expectations. That doing becomes the definition of what it means to be a fully formed human, what it means to follow Jesus. And that is why, for instance, here at Outlook, we keep what we do around here very fundamental, very straightforward and simple. In fact, we, have a, we, we think of it like, like a pulse, like a heartbeat. There, as an outlooker, there are really a couple of main things that we see from the Scriptures that are vital, that are the vital essentials of what it means to follow Jesus. And that is, one, what we're doing here today. When we gather for worship, when we receive the Lord's Supper, when we hear God's Word taught, we are participating in something that Christians have been doing from the beginning. It is vital. It is nourishing. It is part of our worshiping community together. That is one part of the heartbeat. But followed by that is that second part of that pulse, and that is to circle up in groups of people where you know and are known, where you love and are loved, where you're supported by each other, and you get to do life together in supportive, accountable community. That those two things taken together are the vital heartbeat of what it means to develop as a disciple of Jesus. And that is exactly our mission. And there are, all, there are just a myriad of things that we could choose to add to that. But if we do, and we end up considering optional, what Jesus calls essential... Gathering for worship, circling up in groups. We see in the book of Acts, it's exactly what the early church did in the temple courts and from house to house. It is built into the DNA of a simple New Testament church. That if we do anything that begins to make, that's why our, our programming around here is so streamlined. It's so, because if we, make, if we do anything that makes those two things feel optional, because there's a hundred other things you could possibly do, then we have shortchanged you because we've taken the vital and made it feel optional. And that's what we cannot do. And so doing, if we start with only that, or we focus on only that, we get out of whack. Same is true for all of them, though. Think about being, for instance. 
Being is a beautiful word, and in fact, it's a whole lot more healthy to be than to focus on doing. But if we only focus on being, we will end up setting up ourselves to just wear a mask so that we can be who we think we're supposed to be, right? I can't be vulnerable. I can't be real. I'm going through a rough time, or I'm dealing with some stuff that isn't the, the prettiest. I don't know how to handle that, right? Because being... And putting on a face for everyone becomes the definition of what it means to follow Jesus. And I think we all can relate to that. Maybe we've even seen and experienced that for ourselves. So doing, if we only major on that, that's a problem. Being can be actually the same way. And of course, knowing is also a notorious minor on which to major. If I focus the faith only on what I know, what did the Apostle Paul write to the Corinthians? Knowledge puffs up but love builds up. If I can quote a lot of scriptures, but I don't love other people, if I lose my patience, but I can quote all the scriptures about patience, mm, right? I'm missing something. If I can parrot all the right answers, because doggone it, I know, right? I know stuff. Then I'm missing out. But taken together, we've got a basic formula that really helps us put this into practice. It's embedded right here in this passage from 2 Peter I remind myself of what I know so I can reflect on who I am, so I can respond with what I do. And I do that every time. In the rhythm, in the season of my life, I can keep coming back to those things. Precious promises, divine nature, making every effort. My discipleship guidance for you, after 32 years for myself, and some of you have walked with Jesus far longer than that, is that you can't lose going back to that very principle. And this passage really helps us see that. As I wrap up today, I want to illustrate what we're talking about here with a story. In the midst of the great age of exploration in the early years of the 20th century, the most sought-after goal in the world was to reach the South Pole. It had never been done before in all of recorded human history. Not by the first polar explorer, Pythias, in 320 BCE. Not by the Vikings a thousand years later. Not by the Royal Navy in all of its prowess during the years of the British Empire. No one that we ever knew of had ever reached the South Pole. In November uh, 1911, two rivals for the pole aimed to be the first to achieve this elusive goal. A guy named Robert Falcon Scott. Epic name, right? Robert Falcon Scott from Great Britain and a guy named Roel Amundsen from Norway. They and their crews began their 700-mile hikes within days of each other. One team would return victorious, and the other would not return at all. This is what Peter talks about when he says being useful and productive or derailing and, uh, and, and, and uh, leaving the faith. To read their journals, you would never guess that the two teams made the same journey under the same conditions. On good weather days, Scott would drive his team to exhaustion. On bad weather days, he would hunker down in his tent and lodge his complaints in his journal. One day he wrote, our luck with weather is preposterous. On another he wrote, I doubt if any party could travel in such weather. But one party could. On a day of a similar blizzard, Amundsen wrote in his journal, it has been an unpleasant day. Storm, drift, frostbite but we have advanced closer to our goal. There was a difference between the two teams. 
On December 12, 1911, the plot thickened. Amundsen and his team got within 45 miles of the South Pole, closer than anyone who had ever tried ever before. They had traveled some 650 miles, grueling. They were on the verge of winning the race of their lives. And the icing on the cake, the weather was awesome. There they were on the polar plateau, and they had the ideal conditions to skate and sled, or to ski and sled their way to the South Pole. With one big push, they could be there in a day. Instead, it took three days. Why? From the very start of their journey, Amundsen had insisted that his party advance exactly 15 miles each day. No more, no less. The final leg would be no different. Rain or shine, Amundsen would not allow that limit to be exceeded. While Scott and his team rested only on the days when it froze, as he put it, and then pushed his team to the point of exhaustion on the days when it thawed, Amundsen insisted on plenty of rest and a steady pace for the duration of the whole trip to the South Pole. On December 14, 1911, Amundsen uh, led his team to become the first in recorded history to reach the South Pole, and they made it safely home. Meanwhile, Scott and his team were exhausted, demoralized, and they arrived at the pole only to find that they were 34 days too late. And their return journey was even more wretched. The team staggered on in total exhaustion, frostbite taking its ghastly toll until all the men froze to death. Some of them were so certain this would be their fate, they wrote notes they hoped would be found on their bodies so their friends and families would one day read them. Amundsen and his crew accomplished this feat that had eluded adventurers, adventurers for millennia. Why? How did they do it? Not every day was easy, and even under the harsh, but even under the harshest conditions, the goal was doable. Thanks to that one simple decision, they would not exceed 15 miles a day, no matter what. Don't consider optional what Jesus calls essential. In other words, that team found their fundamental rule, the truth and the practice that they kept returning to, and it sustained them. It was not optional for them. It was essential. So friend, fellow Christian, find your 15-mile hike. Return to the rhythm of knowing and being and doing precious promises divine nature, making every effort. That is a life that can follow through on following Jesus. Let's take the bread and the cup in our hands here as we reflect on the fact that Jesus is the perfect example of following through. He followed through on his love for us to the cross, to the tomb, and out again. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, he taught his disciples a really powerful lesson in servanthood. And he ended that lesson with these words. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is a pattern and a rhythm that we can continually return to. Know who Jesus is. Become more like him, not on your own, but by the power of his spirit. And then let that spirit empower you, enable you, drive you in the most beautiful ways forward in doing things in the lives of others in this world. That is what Jesus came to give his life to make possible. And we honor him when we take the bread, broken, uh, the broken bread that represents his body given for us. Let's take and eat together.
And every week when we, when we gather to celebrate this moment right here, we are, what we are declaring is that you can take apart, you can deconstruct, you can examine every, every aspect of our faith, every little thing, and there's going to be at the heartbeat of it this truth right here that Jesus died for us and rose again. It is the main spring. It is the main thing. It is the thing that drives us forward. It is the truth of our lives. And it is the part that no matter how many other parts we might need to look at and re-examine, we're going to always come to this part and say, I'm keeping this. This is worth my life. So let's thank him for giving his life for us and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we've gotten to hear from your word today. Lord, it's my prayer that you will plant it deeply in us, that we will be the kind of people who will just return again to this rhythm of knowing you, knowing your truth, letting that inform who we are, and then letting that be the guidance that we need for what to do and how to live. Count us, Lord, among your followers, among your children, and let us count ourselves as people loved, deeply loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.